So we're going to look at Luke uh, chapter 10 and read from verse 38, which is all about Mary and Martha. This will be a familiar passage to many of us, um, but it's always good to look at it, things afresh, get new things from them. If you haven't read this before or don't know this story, maybe you're uh, young, you can get something from this as well today, so it's worth listening uh, to what God has to say through Mary and Martha. We'll read from verse 38 to verse 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Many of us do know uh, this story, as I've said, and, uh, but do we realize the full impact in our lives of what this story is saying? It's another example, as there are many in the Bible, of uh, Jesus turning the values of this world upside down. Uh, people have often talked about uh, Jesus bringing in an upside down kingdom. Uh, the, the values that we would expect to have in this world, sort of um, proper values, are all turned on their heads by Jesus. And um, this was illustrated, um, I hope the person who I'm going to quote, I won't say who, but I hope they don't mind me saying this. This was illustrated by uh, someone in the youth group a few years ago. Um, when they were performing this, uh, this story in the Bible to another group. And um, the person playing Jesus, who I won't name, um, was, was there, and Mary and Martha were acting this thing out. And um, Martha said the line um, here, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. At which point there was a bit of a pause, because Jesus wasn't really on the ball, and, um, and so they said, well, c- come on, Jesus, it's your line now. So uh, I don't know whether Martha said her line again. Lord, don't you care? My sister's left me to do the will. Tell her to help me. At which point Jesus said, Mary, go in the kitchen and help your sister. <laughs> which probably didn't quite get the message over to the people who were watching. <laughs> but that's what you'd expect Jesus to say. You know, oh, come on, Mary. Don't waste time. There's lots to do. There's, you know, I'm, I'm Jesus. That Martha's in the kitchen. She's getting everything ready. Like so many parables and so many of the things that Jesus said, we miss the point. So that often we are ourselves like the person who Jesus says has got the wrong perspective. Martha is certainly like many people in Britain today, middle class Britain. Um, and she could be like many good Christians, even in inverted commas, that, that you know. Um, She's the one who opens a house up to Jesus. She's the one who says, Jesus, I'm going to welcome you to my house. Um, She wants to welcome him, but she's actually welcoming him on the wrong terms. She's wanting to make things as impressive as possible for him. Lots to do, lots of preparations to be made. Give him a good meal. You know, she's recognizing his importance. She's wanting to serve him well. He's the Lord. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? She's wanting to serve him well but she gets it so wrong. I guess we can all understand, though, where she's coming from. 
If someone important was coming to your house, maybe some dignitary, maybe some uh, royalty, someone who is even just famous, um, we, would, uh, we would think, oh, you know, we want to, uh, want to tidy the house up, want to get it all presentable, want to do a, a nice meal, get some nice drinks in, make everything look at its best, give a good impression. And um, hospitality was highly valued uh, in the culture at the time. It was a biblical thing to do as well. In fact, a number of New Testament passages um, encourage hospitality. Although you'll note that 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, uh, when it talks about hospitality, says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And that certainly wasn't what Martha was doing here. Uh, She was offering some sort of hospitality, she felt, but she was certainly grumbling about it. Isn't this a way to serve Jesus then? Was the problem here really just that Martha was grumbling about it? And if she hadn't grumbled about it, if she'd have just kept her mouth shut, it would have all been fine. Well, I don't think so. Martha, yes, was serving Jesus. But Jesus didn't want his relationship with Martha to be on that basis. He didn't want her to be in a relationship with her on the basis of her serving him. And that isn't the basis that God wants our relationship with him to be on today. He doesn't want us just to do things for him. He doesn't want us just to serve in different areas in the church. He doesn't want us to just do jobs to make things look impressive. He wants us to know him. And he wants to know us. And so when we see Mary here, Mary had it right Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and she listened to him. She wanted to know him. She loved him. And actually, I feel that she understood that he loved her. Yes, he was still the Lord. That didn't change. She knew her place. She was sitting at his feet. He's the Lord. But he was also her friend. Martha was busy serving but was missing out on the relationship with the person that she was serving with. And that's very easy to do. And uh, we see it all the time. We have it, um, me and, uh, and Debbie and the kids have a similar experience sometimes when we go and visit relatives um, down south. We, we can go down and um, we're wanting to go and spend time with people. But actually... Some of the people we go and visit with are so busy in the kitchen the whole time, getting the meals ready, all stressed about it, especially if it's Christmas, oh, we've got to get it all right. Oh, you actually never see them at all. And the whole time is full of this stress, and oh, we've got to, we've got to get it right. No, 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 just come out of the kitchen. We want to just spend time with you. We want to chat to you. We want to get to know you. But it can easily happen. Martha would have held Jesus in very high esteem. She would have held him in great respect. And like I say, he's the Lord, that's important. But it's interesting to notice, isn't it, that even though she had this respect for him, even though she she wanted to serve him, she still felt that she knew better than he did. She says in verse 40, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her... To help me. So Martha is saying to the Lord, tell her to help me. She thinks that she knows best. Jesus, why haven't you told her this before? Isn't it obvious? She is telling Jesus what to say. Mary 
is listening to what Jesus has to say. There's a big difference. How many times do we think we know what the right way is? How many times do we think, Jesus, you know, what's going on here? This is how it should be. This is how you should do things. And we get frustrated at God because he's not doing things the way that we want him to. Whereas Mary has chosen the better part. She's listening. She wants to know what Jesus had to say. If you truly love someone, you'll listen to them rather than trying to get them to fit into your agenda. I guess the same can be true of of those in, in church leadership as well. If you just see people in any sort of leadership just with respect, if you respect them, oh yes, I respect the leaders, oh I honor them, but actually you don't know them, you don't have any sort of warmth towards them, there's no love or friendship, then you're far more likely to have strong and, and different opinions of how things ought to be done. Some people say, well, surely we need both Marys and Marthas. Um, we can't just have, have Marys all the time, otherwise nothing would ever get done. Do you know, the people who say that tend to be the Marthas. They're the ones who say things like that. It, it's just not true. Jesus says in verse 42, only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needed, and uh, Mary has chosen what's better. And it won't be taken away from her. For Jesus, there was only one right way, and Mary had understood it. In other words, Martha had just got it wrong. So the question is, well, if that's the case then, how does anything get done? Because, what, do you just leave things and just let them all float away, and we'll just sit down and we'll just relax and... Nothing will get done, you know, in, in, for a church meeting. We'll turn up, you know, there's no worship band because, well, they're all just sitting at Jesus' feet. They're just in their rooms, just seeking God. And, well, they've just, they've just not come today because it's all just very laid back. Is that what it means? Well, the Bible doesn't say that, does it? The Bible doesn't say that Mary was never going to serve Jesus. The Bible doesn't say Mary was never going to serve Jesus. The point was that Jesus hadn't asked her to at that point, and he hadn't asked Martha to be in the kitchen preparing the tomato sandwiches either. He just hadn't asked. And when he asks, then you serve. You know, we can serve God out of many different motivations. Here are just three. Three motivations why we might serve God. Some people might serve God because um, they're doing it through fear. Because they're thinking, actually, if, if I don't do what God wants... He's going to come at me with this big stick, or a metaphorical big stick. He's going to really lay into me because I'm not doing what he wants. He's this fearsome God. And in one sense, they're right. God is fearsome. God is awesome. We've looked at that a few months ago. But he's just going to tell me off the whole time. And so they're living in fear of just getting it wrong. Oh, no, have I got it quite right this time? Oh, I don't know. Oh, no, what's God going to say to me? And we, we might even have this misguided sense of, of, um, of that we owe God something. Um, once Jesus, we've realized that Jesus has saved us, he's brought us into a living relationship with him, we think, well, we need to do all that we can to repay him. So we're going to serve in every way we can. We're going to be there at all the meetings because we must be. We're going to read our Bible every day. We're going to pray for however long it is every day. That's what we're going to do because we're going to earn his favor. We're going to earn it back. And God says, that's not what it's about. You can't earn my favor. We can never repay God. God isn't looking down at us and saying, you've not had your quiet time today. 
In fact, you've missed it three times this week. That's it. I don't know why I bother with you. He's not thinking that. He's not some sort of ogre. But some people have that impression of God. And so all the serving that they do, anything that they do to serve God is out of that fear or out of that image of what God is like. And we've already heard today that God is not like that. Other people might serve to impress God or others with their commitment and their dedication. And they kind of think, well, you know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at all the meetings. I'm going to be, I'll be sitting at the front. I want, the, I want to be noticed. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm doing it, God. I'm there. I'm for you. And I hope the leaders see it as well. They need to see that I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to pray out because they're going to be impressed by that. And God's going to be impressed. The whole thing of trying to do something to impress, to impress others, to impress God. They might feel superior to others in the church and look down on people. Well, they've not been. They've missed a couple of meetings. They went to a concert instead. Well, what's that about? What sort of commitment's that? I've been here. I could have gone to that concert, but I said, no, I'm going to be at church. And this whole feeling of being superior to others. And they hope that they'll be noticed. Well, maybe they will be noticed. But actually, Matthew, uh, Jesus is in Matthew 6. If you do that, you'll receive any reward that you get on earth. He says in Matthew 6, verse 1, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, in inverted commas, before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. God's not impressed with it. God's not impressed with that sort of serving. He'll just go, okay, you serve to be noticed, I'll see. But if you're doing it for other people's attention, if you're doing it to get the applause, if you're doing it to get people to say, oh, you did really well for that, that's not to mean people won't say that and encourage people, that's fine. But if you're doing it for that motivation, then God says, well, you've received your reward. You've had it. The whole of that chapter in Matthew 6 is looking at that. And probably, I would guess that's where Martha was. I don't think Martha was in fear of Jesus. I think she was probably doing things to, be imp- to impress him, to see things well. Maybe I'm slightly misjudging her there, but I'd guess that's where Martha would be. I believe God wants us to serve because we love him. He just wants us to serve him because we love him. Because we hear his voice and he says, will you do this? And so we say, yeah, of course. And that is the best way. And actually... To those Marthas who say nothing will ever get done, lovers get more done, I would say. I would say lovers serve better. We've got a couple of friends, Joe and Paul. Um, Paul is disabled. He's in a wheelchair. And uh, Joe got to know him because she was his carer. He and Paul employed her to uh, come and work for him and to look after him. So she had to she had to um, get him in and out of cars, take him places, cook for him, uh, look after the house for him, look after him. And uh, that was what she did. She was serving him on the basis of employment. That was her job. That was her duty. But then she fell in love with him. And they got married. Now, do you suppose that Joe now cares for him better or worse than when she was employed to do it, than when she was being paid to do it. Of course she serves him better now. Of course she looks after him better. Because she's doing it out of love. There's no sense of duty. There's no sense of ought to do it. She just loves him. 
She wants to serve him. She wants to help him. She wants to look after him. Of course it's better now. And, and that's the same with us and our relationship with God. We will serve God better when we just love him. When we just love being with him. When everything just springs out of that relationship where we hear him and we, and we serve and we love him. In fact, we are his co-laborers. We're not serving because we owe it to him. We're not serving because we need to repay him. We're not serving God because he's got the position and, and we haven't or because we can impress. We serve because he asks us to come and work alongside him. And we can think of nothing that we'd rather do. We want to be where he is. We want to do what he's doing. If we see it like that, we, we don't resent it. We don't think, well, I've been at a meeting. I've been at three church meetings this week. Um, I saw someone on Facebook this morning saying, it'll be my fourth time in four days. No, they weren't complaining. My fourth time in four days uh, at, a, at a church meeting. Uh, you know, I'm starting to feel like home. Well, yeah, it is. It's home. Because we're here with God. We won't resent it and we won't just think, oh, not again. Martha was not joyful in her service at all, was she? She begrudged it. She was doing what she thought was right. She wasn't happy. She begrudged it. She begrudged her sister. How easy is it to get like that? I've been there serving. I can't believe. You know, they've asked me to be on song management again. And I did it last week. Can't believe it. They've asked me again. Well, surely someone else can do it. I'm not, I don't know that people are thinking this. There's no people on song management are going. <laughs> sure, that's not the case. But we can, we can get into that way of thinking. On the coffee rotor again. Whoa. I want to talk to people. I don't want to serve people. Easy to, to begrudge it. If that's where you are, actually, I would say to you, if you're serving in the church and you're doing it just for any of the, what you think might be the wrong reasons, and not because you're just joyfully doing it, not because you want to do it, I would say there's a very simple way to, uh, to get out of that feeling resentful. Stop doing it. Just stop. If you are serving in the church in any way today, you know, we might as well say it now, because we've stopped a lot of the things over the summer. If you're serving in any way in the church, and, you, and you're resenting it, and you're feeling you're doing it just because you ought to, or because you're trying to impress someone, the best advice I can give you is stop doing it. Just stop. Just try and get to a point where you say, look, I I just need to get to a place where I can sit with Jesus and get to know him. And then as as you get to know him, as you get to know him and love him and he gets to know you more and you're spending time with him in whatever way that might be, it doesn't necessarily mean going to shut yourself in your room all the time because it's just about life. As you get to know him, you'll start to desire to do things again. You'll want to do things to serve him. You'll want to please him because he's just, he's just your friend. He's just God. He's just your lover, saviour, Jesus. Jesus says, come and sit with me. That's what it's about, friendship with God and love for him. Not respect and obedience, not earning his favour, not showing what we can do to him, for him. I've already commented on, because uh, most of what I want to speak about today is God, but I think I've already commented on an interesting parallel how sometimes people can be with leaders. And I think here as well, there can be this sort of attitude um, with leaders. Um, that you wanting to, Some people might want to impress the leaders, or some people might want to um, you know, 
have some sort of fear, some people have some sort of fear of leadership, and so just do what the leaders say. So if the leader says, well, well I better do it, I don't want to do it, but I better do it because the leaders have said it. And um, I'd say, no, don't do that. If you feel that myself or, or Dan or Arnold or anyone else in leadership over you in the church, in a position of, of responsibility or authority in the church, if they've, if they've said to you, well, will you do this, and you're just doing it because you feel you ought to, or because you feel you, they're gonna, we're going to disapprove of you if you don't, or um, because you think, oh, I'll do that because then I'll be noticed. Don't do it. Don't do it. Get to know. I think if you're in a relationship with someone where there's a, a, a friendship and a loving relationship, even if you don't know them well, you can be co-workers together. We can be friends. Many people say, how can you be friends with a leader? <laughs> well, they say, oh, I can't be myself. I can't be myself with one of the leaders, one of the elders. Well, I would suggest that if you struggle, if you think you'll struggle to, to be friends and to be yourself with a leader, I think you'll struggle to be yourself with God and to be with Jesus. If you understand what it is to be in, in love and have a friendship with a holy God who's got absolute authority over you, who sees everything about you, you'll have a much better chance of developing an honest and open friendship with someone in church. Jesus outlines it to his disciples in John chapter 15. We'll spend a bit of time in John 15, maybe. Um, John chapter 15 and verse 14 Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. We'll come to that in a minute. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. So Jesus says, you're not my servants anymore. You're not just doing my bidding. You're not just doing what I tell you to do. You're my friends. What's the difference? The difference is, as he's pointed out, servants don't get to know the master's business. Servants get an order, servants get a job to do, and they do it. They might not know why they're doing it, they might not know how it fits in with everything else, but it's not their position to ask. They just do it. A friend gets to know the master's business. A friend gets to know the reasons behind things. A friend gets invited in and he said, look, I'll share things with you. Let's work together on this. Let's see things together. Let's see how we can love and live together. As friends of God, we're letting on all that is godly from the Father and the Son. That's true for us. Now, obedience is still important. As it says in verse 14, you know, Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. But it isn't the most important thing in and of itself. If we're friends with someone, we're more concerned with how the choices that we make affect them. And that's the case with God, because we love them. In fact, obedience comes about just because of the love that we have for God. We see a similar thing in chapter 14. This helps explain this um, verse in 15, chapter 15, verse 14. Chapter 14, verse 15 help, helps explain it, because he says it in a similar way, a different, slightly different way. If you love me, you will obey what I command. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So Jesus isn't actually saying, in either verse there, he's not saying, I'll be friends with you as long as you do what I say. As long as you toe the line, I'll be friends with you. He's actually pointing out that obedience is the natural outworking of love for him. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Um, you'll be my friends. So he's saying, if you, if you do what I command, 
you're my friends. It's just, that's just the, the way it'll be. If you're my friends, you'll just do it. That's a natural outworking of love. And it's through Jesus' death on the cross that we ourselves come into this relationship and this friendship with God. He's still an holy and awesome God, but we've got access to the Father and intimacy in our relationship with him. We don't just want to serve him, we want to know him better like Mary did. His desires become our desires, and we see where he's coming from. And we work with him. We're a co-worker with God. There's amazing things as we look at the Bible, all through the Bible, there's people who God has relationship with him with, and they work together with God. It's not just they're, they're not just serving God in a sort of cold, detached way. Right at the start, we see that with Adam, and I guess this is, this is what God intended it to be like. This is what God intends his relationship with us to be like. Um, Genesis 2 and verse 19. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the beasts of the field and all of the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, see what the man, Adam, would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Adam is given the job of naming all of the creatures that God has made. Why has God given Adam that job? Was God tired? Had he made the earth and everything, he got to the end of six days, and he's thinking, oh, I've created all these animals. Oh, oh, it's going to be a big job naming them all. Adam can do that one. I can't be bothered. He's not just getting Adam to do it because he can't be bothered. In fact, this is a major job. This isn't just that, oh yeah, I'll call you a slug and I'll call you a toad and I'll call you a sheep. And I'll, you know, he's not just plucking things out of the air. Because this naming of things actually represents the nature of things. Naming was very important in those, uh, in those times and in biblical times. And uh, as you name something, you're describing something of its nature. You're describing something of its job. So almost, Adam wasn't just naming animals and, and birds and other creatures. He was assigning them what their job was going to be. We kind of get the impression of that when it says um, at the end of that passage I just read, uh, but for Adam, there was no suitable helper to be found. So you kind of get the impression that Adam is going through all these animals and God says, you need a helper, Adam. And Adam's going, yeah, okay. And Adam's, you know, all these animals are coming forward and Adam's thinking, are any of these going to be a suitable helper for me. And they weren't. <laughs> you kind of think, that's a relief. <laughs> but <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't good enough. God could have been saying, Adam, look at all these different creatures I've created. And you're saying none of them are good enough. Yeah, none of them are suitable. God doesn't go, oh, dear me. Yeah, just six days? I'm going to have to make something else now. Yeah, it's so easy. It's so hard to please these men. No, he, he creates a woman. Adam, woman, the perfect helper for Adam, Eve. But you get the point. Adam is involved in, this, in naming. He's involved in creation. He's involved with God in partnership. Now, he's not God. And he soon finds out he's not God, and he oversteps the line. 
and he disobeys. But what God wants is a relationship where we can work with him, where we work in the creative program. That's an amazing thing to get hold of. God wants to involve us in creative processes. God wants to involve us in the things that he's doing, in the things that he's going to do in this world. He wants to involve us in the bringing about of his kingdom on earth. And we can think, oh, yeah, yeah, we know that. But we can think he doesn't need our help. Well, in one sense, no, he doesn't need our help. He can do anything he wants. He doesn't need our help. He wants to do it with us. That's what he wants. That's what his desire is. He's saying, I want to I do it with my friends. I want to do it with those that I'm in relationship with. I want to do it with my church. And, and it, he knows that if we've got a loving relationship with him, then our desires will match his, and, and he's got our hearts. That explains why he can say things um, like, uh, there's a few, chapters, few verses here, it's, I'll pick from John. I'll run through them, you don't have to turn. He can say some of these things. John 14, 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. John 15, 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given. John 15, 16. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, says Jesus. And John 16, 23. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. We're given carte blanche to, say, to come to God and say, God, this is what we would like. This is what, this is what we want to do. What, what about this, God? Not in a way as, as coming and, and, and saying, God, do things my way. I know best. But the clue comes in some of this. If you remain in me, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. Once we are in a relationship with God and we know his heart and we know what he wants, we know the sort of things he loves and we know the things he wants to do because the word tells us and he speaks to us, we can come and we can say, oh God, God, will you save this friend of mine? We can plead, God, will you do it? And God says, yeah, I'll do it. You think, well, wasn't God going to do that anyway? Well, I don't know, was he? Because he, he says, come and ask for it. I don't think, and those people who say, oh, you're, you're discounting the sovereignty of God here, I don't think I am, actually. But those people who think that we've just got, God's just got this plan set out for us, almost this road to travel, and we, like robots, walk down it, and at a certain point we might pray, but God always knew we were going to pray for our friend at that point, and he was going to save us, and that had already been decided. And So it's almost like, oh, why bother? We're just like robots. God didn't want robots. God didn't want a relationship with some sort of, uh, some sort of automatic creature. He wanted a living relationship with God, with him, where we can come and we can say, Father, will you do this? And he says, yeah, I will. I'd love to do that. Let's do that together. Let, let's, let's dream some big dreams. Let's, let's go for this one. Let's, and we can do anything together, can't we? And it's that sort of relationship that we can be in with God. So it doesn't mean, because people who misunderstand these verses say, great, I can ask for the latest sports car now. Or the latest digital TV. Does that mean God will give that to me? No. Because by even asking that question, that means you've not really understood what a relationship with God is about in this sense and what asking him about is. 
If we love God, our desires will be in line with him. And we'll easily hear from him and our desires will be, be in line with him. It's a real relationship. There are some real decisions that we can make. God hadn't already decided what the animals were going to be called and was like saying, Adam, see if you can get it right. Here's a million different species. You see if you can get it what I've already decided. Adam was making the decision. He gave Adam that responsibility. And there are real decisions that in God, in a living, loving relationship with God, we can make. And God still remains sovereign. There's a tension. There's a tension there to hold. But there's a tension about lots of things in the Bible. And that is true. God is sovereign. But we can still make some decisions in him. In all of this, it's important to realize that this is a two-way thing. You know, God loves us. God wants to spend time with us and just be with us. Jesus didn't want Mary just to sit at his feet so that he had a captive audience. He didn't kind of, you know, the reason he didn't, wasn't that he he didn't want to send Mary in because then he was thinking, yeah, who's going to listen to me? If Mary and Martha are both in the kitchen, I'm sitting on my own in here. Actually, I want someone to big me up a bit. That's not what he was doing. He wasn't lacking in self-confidence. He wasn't wanting the attention. He was, he was just wanting to be and be in relationship and be in friendship with Mary. And that's what he does with us. He wants to be with us. One of the biggest lies that the enemy uses, which holds many of us captive, is that actually God doesn't really love us. Or let me rephrase that. Because some people think, okay, yeah, God loves me. Yeah. But it's a kind of dutiful love. We think, oh, yeah, he's kind of got to love me. We actually don't think he likes us. We, we can't get our heads around the fact that Jesus and God might like us. We can't imagine that he would want to enjoy spending time with us and want to be with us. But the truth is, he does. He enjoys your company. He, not because of what he's getting out of it, but because he just enjoys being with you. He appreciates who you are as a person. He made you. He made you. So he appreciates who you are. He likes you. Tom was saying today, you are God's people. You are God's people. He's wanting to say that over us today. John, who, uh, the apostle who wrote the, the gospel, he came to understand this. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've twigged this about John, that he, he writes about himself in his gospel in a bit of an unusual way. I'll give you an example. In John 21 and verse 7, uh, they're talking about the miraculous catch of fish. And it says in verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Uh, As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water, etc., etc. But interesting, isn't it? Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter. So this is how John's talking about himself. The disciple who Jesus loved, if you've not realized this before, the disciple who Jesus loved is John. He's talking about himself. So is he some sort of big head? Is he like trying to get one over on Peter there? Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, who he didn't really. He sort of messed it up a few times, Peter. So he's, he's, he's kind of a bit lower down the ranking. But John, yeah, and you think actually, you know, what, they did used to argue, didn't they, about about who was the greatest, who was going to be the greatest. Maybe it was that. Maybe John's thinking, I'm writing the book. I'll write it how I want. <laughs> the disciple who Jesus loved. 
<laughs> I don't believe for one minute that John was doing that at all. He wasn't setting himself up above Peter or the other disciples. He wasn't being big-headed. He has had a revelation of, from God as to who he is in God. He's had a revelation that God loves him. He just wants to say it. God loves me. Now he's writing, a, he's writing an account of Jesus uh, and what happened, but he's wanting to get it in at any occasion. Uh, the disciple that Jesus loves. He loves me. He loves me. He wants to say it. God is saying to, to him, you know, John, you're my favorite. But he's not just saying it to John. He's saying it to all of us. He's saying, you're my favorite. Bit, bit like Bruce Forsyth does on, on, on Strictly Come Dancing. He says to everyone, you're my favorite. Now, I'm not saying God is like Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> Get us kids at school. Draw a picture of God. Hmm, Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> big chin. <laughs> no. God. I'll stop that. Um, God... God loves us all. He's saying to all of us, you are my favorite. Not over and above everyone else, but I love you. I love you. I want to be with you. I want you to understand. John understood it. He understood he wasn't better than anyone else, but he, was, he understood he was loved to the utmost by Jesus, by God. Once we grasp that, once we really grasp that God loves us, with all our faults and with all our failures and all our insecurities, well, actually, the insecurities, once we understand it, the insecurities will go. Because our security will come from God and come from them. We're loved by the King. I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. We sometimes sing uh, in one of the songs. We'll go to the Father to get our, our security and our affirmation and just know who we are. And we'll stop running to other people and we'll stop running to other relationships which may be unhelpful and at the very worst will be imperfect, at the very best will be imperfect. Because all that insecurity will be gone as we understand God loves me. God wants to spend time with me. God likes me. The enemy will lie to us. He will say God doesn't love us. He will say God, he'll say God rejects you. He'll constantly taunt us about our love for him being weak. And he'll say, actually, do, do you even love God at all? And the enemy will throw these things at us. Do you even love God at all? And it, the way he'll do it is by saying, but you've not done this and you've not done that and you've not done the other. It's on the basis of what you've done. And he'll try and get us like that. But, but actually, knowing that we're really loved by God means we don't have to get too anxious about what God wants from us about what we've done. We don't have to get too anxious about how much we've prayed or how much we've read the Bible. Uh, if you're a servant, you've got to get it right all the time. If you're serving and you get it wrong, okay, you, you get it pointed out to you, you get it wrong again, you might get a warning, you might get sacked. You've got to get it right pretty much. And you worry. And we think about God like that. Have we got it right? Oh no. Oh, is he going to run out of patience with us? Is he going to sack us? Is he going to substitute us for someone else? We think we're rebellious sometimes when we mess up. Oh, I'm rebelling against God. Look, when you're rebelling against God, you don't care that you're rebelling against God. That's what rebellion is. You just don't care. If you're worried that you're rebelling against God in some way, 
and you're really worried about that, and you know, you're, you're aware of what the Bible says, then, then chances are, good chances are, you're not. You're actually just being immature. Because we're all immature. Because we're all children of God. We're all growing up. We're, we're immature. God, God loving restores us. When we mess up, he'll come and loving restore, lovingly restore us. Like a parent does with a toddler. We don't say to a, we don't say to a child of ours, you know, a little toddler who's, who's learning to do something and, they, and they, they get it wrong, they fall over, they try to walk. We don't say, oh, you're useless, I'm going to get another one. I'm going to get a better model. This one, this one can't walk very well. I'll get one that can do it faster. We encourage and we lovingly restore. Even when children are naughty and, and disobedient and sometimes willfully, but they come back and they say, oh, you know, messed up. We'll lovingly restore them. And that's what God does with us. Sometimes that will involve discipline in the same way that with children. We'll be disciplined. But God disciplines the ones he loves. It's only when we're really confident in that unconditional love of God that we can truly walk with him. And as we walk in that intimacy with him, things just get less complicated. It takes the stress out of hearing from God because actually we just hear him in our everyday lives. Um, someone's already mentioned this treasure hunt thing that some of us went out on, the, this, this group of men we're meeting with uh, on, once a week. Most of us went out um, on Thursday, and uh, it, was just, it was just fun, really. We wanted to go out. We, we wanted to, to tell people about God. We wanted to reveal people, God to people. But uh, one of the main reasons that I wanted us to do it was because I thought it would just be fun. It would just be a fun thing to do. And I think it was. The people who came back would be like, that was great fun. That was just, that was just good. And yes, we were, we were trying to hear what God was saying about people, trying to make the, the, the supernatural and just see it as a natural thing. Not get too hung up on, oh, is this God who said this to me? So that's why uh, you'll have heard it referred to, that, that we, I gave people three minutes to hear a number of things about God. I said, right, just sit down, three minutes, write down anything you think God's saying. But don't, don't get too hung up on it. Just, just write it down. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Because actually, if you're a Christian and you're in a relationship with God and you're asking God to speak to you, it's quite likely that he will. Because he says he will. So you can hear him. And, and it just takes that anxiety and that stress out of it. Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. The more we know him and the more we love him, the more we will recognize when he speaks to us. It might be in a still, small voice. It might be in just a whisper. But he'll speak to us. We've heard about it being in a whisper. Paul actually described it when he was gardening. He said, a big, loud voice. But we, he, he was just doing something ordinary, wasn't he? Paul, he was just out doing a bit of gardening. And he hears from God. He can hear God wherever you are. Just speak to you. He wants to be in relationship with you because he loves you. The Christian life is full of joy, even when life's got its challenges. God is wanting us to be able to develop an increasingly intimate relationship with him. Not just through shutting ourselves away for hours on end and never doing anything, never serving at all, but actually just being with him, hearing his voice, doing what he is doing, doing what he says. He's in us. He's with us. He loves us. He wants to be with us. As we see as we know him and as we serve him and as we hear him speak to us, we'll see amazing things happen in his name. And it'll just be who we are 
It'll just be increasingly natural. And we'll be full of joy. That's what God is wanting. And we can think, how are we going to do that? How are we going to get to that place of doing it? Don't just take the pressure off. Don't stress about it. God loves you. He just wants to speak to you. He wants to know you. Just sit at his feet for a while. Just get used to what his voice is. Pick it up. Oh, I think that might be God. I'll go with that. Because God is wanting us to be a people who are just natural in a, a supernaturalness in God.